Well, good morning. morning. Ask if you will to turn your Bible to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. Thankful for Dr. Fant who preached the word for us last week from Psalm 19. Thankful to be able to leave uh, the pulpit, of course, in such able hands. And Dr. Fant is one, not only a part of us, but uh, opening up the word in so many ways. So I've been out a week, so I was a little rusty this morning. But you guys should get full blast here. I've already gone through one time. While you're turning there, I do want to give some announcements. I, I, I need to, to draw our attention to a couple things real quick. Maybe you noticed in the Welcome Center, uh, as you came in, some tables set up. One of the things that uh, I want us to be pointed out is, as you know, and you've heard hopefully the communication and other things, starting August 21st, um, we'll be moving to three services and creating a lot of opportunities for service. And so all of our teams from our equip ministry to our uh, greeters to our, our um, media teams, rec center, all of them have a table out there. And what this has created is a good thing. It's created a lot of opportunities to serve. And you know, here we want to promote the fact that at Taylor's, everybody serves. It's a great place. And so many people are looking to serve. Maybe that's you. You're looking to see how you can join in. We would love for you to step out into our Welcome Center um, and just see those opportunities. You will do our ministers and some other leaders out there. You'll do them a big blessing. I told them they couldn't be like the ones who were in the mall who were begging you to come take some sort of sea salt kind of thing or something and rub it on your back. You can't do that. But we can encourage you to serve, and we want to show you that we have so many opportunities so that there's no excuses when you leave today not knowing the opportunities to serve here at Taylor's First, and we would love to have you be a part of that. In light of that also, serving, and everybody serves, at the conclusion of our service today, we'll have a special moment of commissioning. As you know, anytime we have a group going somewhere, we want to commission them and send them out. Well, today, you'll have over 90 standing in front of you because on this uh, Wednesday and Thursday, our group that will be serving the scent are leaving out to go. So I'm excited about that. Over 90 going from our church to serve. And so what a wonderful blessing on this one trip. You'll be, uh, we'll be commissioning them. In light of that, I'll be here next Sunday, of course, but we're going to have one service next Sunday at 10 a.m. With so many volunteers and people out, we're going to just join together, be praying for them. They'll still be serving down there, but we're going to join together and we'll have one service next Sunday at 10 a.m. And so so if you who are here in the 1030 service and that's your normal time, I will preach extra long next week in case you're late, okay? So that way you get the full benefit of it. But one service next week, hopefully that's been in all the communications you've seen, trying to get that out and we're doing it even now. And just really thankful that we have this many going to serve uh, in such a way that it even disrupts some things we do here. And that, my friends, I truly believe is the way it should be is that serving God should not put us uh, 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 holding fast to any normal thing we do, that it should become normal that we do whatever it takes to reach as many people as we possibly can. So that's our desire. You'll see that at the end of our service. Again, I want us to turn to Psalm 4 uh, this morning. It was not my intent when I began preaching 
a few weeks ago to go start in Psalm 1 and go through Psalm 4. That was kind of not exactly how it works. Usually when we do these sermon series in the summer, we choose from different places so you get a, a different taste of the Psalms. But as I started in chapter 1 and recognized how chapter 1 and 2 go together, and how they set up the themes of the entire book of the Psalms, a call for us, a call for us to delight in the word of God and meditate on it so that we can flourish like a tree planted by the river. A call for us to, to flourish by delighting in the word. And then Psalm 2, pointing us to the Messiah who is to come. He's the one that we take refuge in. So blessed is the man who takes refuge in the man. And so Psalm 2 is pointing us to that. We want to delight in his word. And when we delight in his word, we delight in God's man that he has sent. This sets up the themes throughout. But then we saw next in Psalm 3 an example of one who is in distress yet turns to the Lord and delights in his word. We saw that with David and, and the situation that we'll address again in just a moment with his life at the moment in the context. And so Psalm 3 becomes that example. Now, I believe there's some connection here with Psalm 4 as well. Now, many have titled these the morning psalm and the evening psalm. Psalm 3 has verse 5 in it. I laid down and slept. I woke again. The Lord sustains me. A psalm in the morning of how he slept and the Lord has sustained him through the night as he's awakened. Psalm 4 is referred to as the evening psalm. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, verse 8 says. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so Psalm 3, he's waking up in the morning and he's thanking God for what he has done. Psalm 4, he's going to bed and he's trusting in God to keep him. The morning and evening psalms. Some have suggested, and I think maybe you're right, that there's a greater connection here as well between Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. And that is that they were written in the same context of time and situation. Now, there's no real way to tell the, that we know this exactly, but it seems to fit to me. In Psalm 3, we see the superscription that this is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And remember, last, uh, two weeks ago, we discussed that story in detail, how Absalom, his son, came back, spent four years uh, at the gate speaking ill of his father, the king, telling everybody, y'all need a better king, he's not good enough, telling everybody he won't listen to you, he won't do these things. And he kind of conjured up some people resenting him and looking to Absalom because he was a handsome man because he had a lot of hair. And I still don't know why that makes him handsome at all. <laughs> but you had Absalom there who then goes out and takes these men that he have kind of won to his side. And he comes back to Jerusalem with 12,000 men to run David off the throne. And he succeeds. David flees Jerusalem with his bare feet, his head hanging in shame and a hood over his head, fleeing in tears, it says, running to exhaustion as Absalom and his men chase him down. That's the context of Psalm 3. And so you see David saying with his life threatened by his son and his army, David is saying, Lord, you are my shield and my protector. They're trying to kill me. You protect me. And he's trusting the Lord for his physical, physical protection, trusting in the Lord as they try to kill him. But Psalm 4 is a little different. And why I say it's the same in 
context, I believe what's happening here is in Psalm 4, it's not the physical threat that is the army that's bearing down on David. It's the slanderous words of Absalom and his people. They have slandered David, they have lied against him, and they have ruined his reputation. You see this in verse 2 of chapter 4. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So in chapter 3, he's fearful of the physical threat that is upon him. And in chapter 4, he's dealing with the slanderous threat that has come. Through this process, as Absalom waited at the gates for four years, trashing his father and his reputation. And so now David is dealing with this the lies that have been spread about him, the slander that is there. That's what Psalm 4 is about. Now, there are many types of Psalms. Uh, they're hymns, you know, that they, they would sing in worship, and you see those. There's laments where they're singing, lamenting something that's happened in their society or in their place, some sin that is there. There's psalms that are thanksgiving psalms. There's psalms that we saw in chapter 2 that are messianic psalms that point us toward Jesus Christ and his coming, the Messiah. And as some have said, there's also what Psalm 4 is, a psalm of confidence, a psalm of confidence. This is what I believe Psalm 4 really is, a psalm of confidence. David is confident. Even though he's being slandered, even though he has fled from his son and the army that surrounds his son in, in fear, and even though his name has been trashed and slandered, he knows God will answer him. He has a confidence that is placed in the Lord he has a confidence that is placed in the Lord, and this confidence will sustain him. And so he answers what they may give to him, the, the lies that have been spread, the dishonor that has been shared. He answers that in full confidence, in full confidence. And our desire this morning is to look to Psalm 4 and seek that same confidence, that's what I hope for every one of us, is that if you're a child of God, that you can leave this place with full confidence that the Lord your God will provide you with all joy, rest, and satisfaction. That you need not look anywhere else for your strength. You need not look anywhere else for, for what you long for, what you desire. The God of the universe will provide it all for you. Now, David, of course, who's being slandered here, and we know how the story goes. Sticks and stones do break bones, and names always crush us, right? Isn't that how it goes? But that's how it is. The idea that someone slandering us or trashing our reputations is something we don't worry about is not really relevant to us. We know that it hurts when people say bad things about us. We know that it's painful when they speak ill about us. We know that it's, it's hard when they, they tell lies about who we are. We know that that is, can be more devastating than any physical injury or physical threat. And so David is facing that, this devastating thing that his son, Absalom, has trashed his name and his reputation to all of his people, something that would have to be rebuilt for years, whereas whatever physical thing may come can only be a moment or, or, or be fleeting and heal quickly. But the trashing of his name, the slander that he has to face could take years. 
David is facing this, and he has confidence in facing this. I want us to have that same confidence, but more than that, not just the confidence we have when someone comes as an enemy to us and slanders our name, but the confidence that we can have every single day as we walk in this world that is full of enemies against the truth, full of enemies against God's word, but is also full of strife and difficulty and suffering and persecution and hardship. I want us to step out into that world that seems scary in so many ways with absolute confidence that the one whom we trust in sustains us in all things. That's our desire then, to learn here from David what it means to have this confidence and how can we have the same confidence. Whatever the case may be, whatever we may face, we want to face all of those situations with this confidence. And the fear I have for each and every one of us in this room is that you, not that you lack confidence, for if you lack confidence, we can show you the one who can give you confidence. My fear is that many of us in this room have a misplaced confidence. We have put our confidence in the things that we can see and hold on to We've placed our confidence in, in our friendships. We've placed our confidence in our financial situation. We've placed our confidence in what we own, what we possess, where we are. We've placed our confidence in the fact that our parents are going to watch over us and care for us. We've placed our confidence in anything and everything other than the one true and living God who truly can sustain all things. For anywhere else we place our confidence, there's not, it's not sustainable for us. But God is enough. He is sufficient. He can sustain us. He can hold us. He can keep us. So how then do we have this same confidence David has? Let's look first, reading the passage together, Psalm 4. David is writing, and he speaks first to the Lord. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you more than anything else for your son, Jesus Christ. Today, Father, in clear display, you have provided everything we could long for and everything we need. All of our desires, all of our needs in one, and that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let no one here this morning misplace their confidence in anything else but the one who can save them and sustain them in all things. And God, as your word says, when we call on you, you hear us. And Father, we do not take that for granted in any way. Help us not to. Help us to consider it a privilege to be able to call upon your name. And we do that now in full.
confidence. And I pray you would provide that confidence for each one of us this morning in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. A few things I wanna see. The Psalm really lays out pretty simple of three different sections. And just if we're looking for the confidence, what is it that we must do first? We must call upon the Lord in full dependence. We must call upon the Lord in full dependence. This psalm begins with a plea, not a demand. Now, I want to I make that clear. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. If we're reading this wrong way, maybe in our own context, it sounds like David is making a demand of God. I told the first, the first service, we were talking about the fact that, you know, it's like how cell phones work. You buy cell phones for your kids, you pay the bills, and you call them, and guess what? They don't answer. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The only thing I need you to do is answer. My kids, some of them, I don't know, they're probably in here. I'm going to embarrass them real quick. Some of them even make their voicemail so it sounds like they answer. Hello? Hey, I need you to do, 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 do. Hello? What is that? It gets me every time, which makes me more angry that they didn't answer and they fooled me. <laughs> the only thing I'm asking you to do is answer when I call. And so in some sense, we may look at this as David's doing the same thing. He's making a demand of God, but that is not what's happening here in this moment. David is making a plea to God. In other words, this is coming not from a demand that you must do this for me, but from a sense of desperation for David. If you don't answer, who else am I going to turn to? If, if you don't answer my call, where else do I go? You remember how Psalm 73, David put it this way. He said, whom do I have in heaven but you, Lord? Where else am I going to turn? What else am I going to do? David in his distress knows that the first place he must turn to and the one who must hear him is the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't turn to his friends in this moment. He doesn't rally support and say, hey, these guys have talked trash about me and they've slandered my name. None of that's true, right? Now, before y'all think that's silly, some of us do that on social media and stuff all the time. Don't we put something to happen and we just love it when our friends pile on? Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. I can't believe they did that. It's okay, honey. We, we, we're looking for someone to comfort us. We're looking for some comfort that we can find or something we can have that'll let us know that it's, it's going to be okay or it's going to be all right. David has no place else to turn. And he says, God, if you don't answer me, I've got nothing. So this call from David is not a demand, but a plea. It's coming from the beggar who's looking for bread, right? It's coming from the one who knows if this person doesn't supply it, I don't have it. And God is the one who must answer him. And so he's pleading here to God. He's pleading out to him, and he turns to him first. He doesn't turn anywhere else. He turns to the Lord first. If we're going to have a confidence that helps us make it through every day, even through suffering, even through trial, even through slander, whatever it else they may throw, if we're going to have that confidence, we must look to the Lord first and foremost to find it. David does. He turns here, and what does he say? He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. David's life is a testimony of God's faithfulness and his relief, right? I mean, you can go back. This isn't the first time David's hiding in a cave. He hid from Saul, fleeing for his life. This isn't the first time David has faced some sort of difficulty. He, he faced difficulty when even as, even as a shepherd, as it says, he, he faced bears and lions and other things, and God delivered him from it all. And you remember what happened when the giant stepped in front of him. This is not the first time David is saying, if you don't save me, I've got nothing. And each time in David's life, that relief has come. 
God has answered him. God has relieved him. God has supplied exactly what he needs. And so David is appealing to God's faithfulness throughout the years to always bring exactly what he needs. I love the saints that are a little bit older than me that could speak about how God has always been faithful, right? How he's always taking care of our needs. And, and even when we, we think we know what we need and he gives us something different from what we think we know what we need, oftentimes if we're smart enough, we recognize what he gave us is far better than what we could ever have asked for or wanted. So the Lord has been gracious, David says. And he's appealing to that graciousness. You have given me relief when I was asking. But now he comes and he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. While David's life is a testimony of God's faithfulness in relieving him and answering his prayer, he has that. David also recognizes that there is nothing in him that deserves to stand before God and ask anything. David knows he's a sinner. He's been through that before as well, right? We know Psalm 51 is in there. He recognizes his own sinfulness. We, he knows what he has done. And so even now, as God has answered him many times, as he knows he is desperate for God now, he recognizes if God answers his prayers, if God hears his prayers now, this is an act of grace on God's part, not something he deserves. He doesn't get to step up and say, God, give me, give me, give me, as if he has earned it. He knows whatever he gets from God in the hearing of his prayers and the delivering of God and the relief he comes is an act of God's grace. It's God's graciousness to him. So he says, be gracious to me again, basically. You've been gracious all along. Be gracious to me again. David, aware of his sin, Knows he cannot demand an answer. He cannot demand God to hear him. But he asks for God's grace in hearing. Knowing God has been faithful before, but knowing that doesn't determine he's going to be faithful in the future. Something else may happen, right? Surely God will be faithful, but it may not be the relief David's looking for. So David knows whatever comes to him is a gift of God and his graciousness. Just as David turned to him first, that's what we must do. If we're going to have confidence, our confidence cannot be misplaced in anything other than the God of the universe. Our first reaction, like, like a, a default reaction, like you're hitting your knee and looking for a reflex, the reflex of the believer must be prayer. Must be prayer. It's a default for us sometimes in our own context, in our own place. Whenever we get sick, what's our default? We need to see the doctor. Whenever some suffering comes, what's our default? We need to find somebody that can do something about this. Our tendency is to look for others that can help us or look for something that, that this world can explain and go away when the first reaction of the believer must always be, let me pray. Let me turn to God. For that's where our confidence lies. That's where we find it. And David wants to turn to God. And David knows God is not obligated to hear him. It's an act of grace. Now, how much more for us? If I could just assume in this, if, if I can for a moment, just assume that we in this room, all of us are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that. I believe some of you need to turn to him, surely. But if we're working off this, let's just assume that all of us are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize a truth that we find in the New Testament. 
That truth is this, that God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who shaped everything out of nothing, spoke it into existence out of nothing, the God who sustains all things, hold all things together. It's in his palm the world exists. He knows stars by every name. He knows the hairs on your head. The God of the universe has obligated himself to hear the prayers of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? He said, if you ask, I'll answer. If you seek, you're going to find it. If you knock, I'm opening the door. And Jesus even turns around and says, y'all need to know whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you. Do you understand the depth and the power of that statement? David is here and he turns to God and he's calling out to God. He said, God, you've been faithful all along. Relieve me now. Relieve me again. And I know if you do, it's an act of grace. We, as the believer who've trusted in Jesus and our blood has, uh, his blood has covered our sin and we've been saved and adopted in his family, we can go to the Lord in the name of Jesus and he has obligated himself and said, I will hear you and I will answer you. And the answer that you get is the best answer you can find. For he says, whatever happens to those who love me is happening for your good. I don't know if that sinks into us enough. But if you're looking for confidence, where else do you need to go? If you're looking for confidence to face every day, where else should you turn but to the Lord God Almighty who through his son Jesus Christ has obligated himself to hear your prayers and answer them? David goes there first. So should we. And when he does then, he turns to those who have been slandering him. And in this way, he's going to call them out, if you will. He's going to give them a call out. He finds, he goes to God first. He trusts in, trusts in the Lord, dependent upon him. If you don't answer me, nobody does. I'm trusting in you, God. That's where my confidence lies. And then he turns to those who have been say, saying terrible things about him. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? He addresses those, and in this, he wants his enemies to stop. Stop what you're doing, stop doing it, and turn to the Lord. And in this way, he's calling on them to trust in confidence in the God of the universe as well. A call to repentance, basically. But in this, he's demonstrating to them how he lives. How can you have that confidence? Here's what I do, David says. Knowing God is the one who sustains me and keeps me and holds me, here's what I do. Here's what you are to do. He first addresses these men with their actions, confronting their sinfulness. You've lied about me. You've dishonored my, my name and, and, and all these things. He confronts them with it. He confronts their sin. Of course, that needs to be done in every way. We need to recognize and, and be willing to confront sin. And then he turns and says, you need to know, you need to know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when I call him. David says to them, you're slandering me and I got the God of the universe on the line. You're going after my name and my reputation. You're trying to kill me. You're trying to go after me. And I got the God of the universe waiting to hear from me. And not only is he waiting to hear from me, he delights when I call. Like my mom when I hadn't called in a week. Y'all know what I'm saying. He's looking for it. He's waiting on it. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't say, I'm busy right now. He is waiting on my prayer. At any moment, the God of the universe is, David says. 
And he's delighting on me to call. He's waiting for me to call on him. This is what he desires. And you are slandering me and going after my name. You don't have to answer to me, David is saying. You got to answer to him. You got to answer to him. And like that moment when when the bully is going after the smaller one and the big brother steps in, y'all know what I mean. Or that moment when the bully's going after that small one and the father steps up and says, this isn't going to happen anymore. David says, that's where my confidence is. And the one who speaks for me, the one who hears my prayer. And he tells them of that faithfulness of God. What happens, I believe, and just if I can for a second, at the heart of any persecution or any slander or any evil thing people say, at the heart of it is an overarching insecurity in itself. People do these things against other people because they're afraid that they may lose their own position as well. They're afraid they may lose their power. They're afraid they may lose their influence. They see people as threats, and so they must put them down in order that they can rise up. This is exactly what Absalom has done with his father, David. He saw him as a threat. He tried to bring him down and destroy him. He slandered him so he can step into his throne. That's exactly what he's doing. He is insecure in and of himself. In fact, James tells us this is what happens. You don't have, so you kill and you lie and you destroy in order to get it in James chapter 4. You're insecure about your own position, and so you destroy anybody and anything you can to give you some confidence in it. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I believe that has so much to do with what's happening. The reason why people slander is because they don't have any confidence in the one whom they look to that can hold them and keep them. And here, David is calling them I've got a God who overlooks everything and is waiting on me to call on his name. So here's what you are to do. Here's what you are to do. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Now there's this simple little thing here, some some idea about how this is interpreted. We know that that Paul uses this in Ephesians chapter 4. The idea of be angry, do not let your anger uh, lead to sinful thoughts like hatred or sinful actions like slander or even murder. So while Psalms is dealing with our emotions all the time and trying to help us put them in context and get them under control, here the psalmist is saying you can be angry, but do not let your anger lead to sin. Do not let it lead to sinful thoughts or sinful actions. That's what you should do. But at the same time, and I think that's right, and David, uh, excuse me, Paul even says, he puts that next verse in Ephesians 4, where he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't leave it there so it can lead to sinful thoughts and sinful actions. Deal with it. Deal with it. But also, when you take the Hebrew that is in this chapter, the word for anger also is translated tremble. And so some have translated this verse, tremble before God and do not sin. Tremble before God and do not sin. Now, either way you look at it, whether you take tremble or in anger, however you want to handle it, I think all of it fits the context. Do not plan evil. Cease from what you are doing. Why? Because you have a God that oversees it all. Your actions are being taken into account by the one who judges you. And so tremble because there's a God who brings judgment. Tremble because there's a God who does it. Do not go into sin. That's the worst thing you can do. If you want confidence, sin will destroy that confidence. Do not go into it. So in your anger, do not sin. It's first. It's what David says. 
Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom in the first place. Don't sin. Then he says, search your own hearts. Our anger comes from the fact that people are doing something against us, right? And so before you sin, search your own heart. Are you, are you innocent? Have you had anger before others? He says, search your own heart in the privacy of your bed, right? Y'all know what he's talking about. That moment when the lights go out, everything's calmed down, and it's just you and your thoughts. David says, you consider your own heart, and when you search your own heart, what is it that you find out? That your actions toward others have not always been right either. That you're a, you're a sinner in and of yourself, and while they're doing you wrong, you may not have done anything to deserve it. You've done the same thing. Search your own heart. And by searching your own heart, it brings down the level of your anger, right? Because you recognize I'm a sinner just like everybody else. Search your own heart. Be still or be silent, he says. Be silent. Think about that for a second. That idea of the psalmist gives us, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that you have to answer to him. So, If you're angry, that's fine, but tremble before the Lord and search your own heart. And when you search it, be still and listen to what he's saying to you. And when you hear what he's saying, the only response that we can give is for us to worship the Lord, bring right sacrifices to him. David is saying, my confidence is rooted in God who's always heard me and always kept me. And because I'm confident in him, I tremble before him. I don't sin. I don't seek to make him angry or upset. I search my own heart to recognize my own sinfulness. I be still and I listen to what he is teaching, but what he is showing me. And then I offer up worship toward him. Because remember what, what Paul said, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down. And if you come to worship and you still have it against somebody, you need to go fix that first, Jesus says. So don't let it sit there. Worship God in the right way with your own sins before him, asking him, begging him for forgiveness of those things. And as you worship him, trust in him. It's all right there in verses four and five. Be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Five simple things that David says, here's where my confidence is found. He calls others to do this. Here's what I do. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He's calling them to do it. Here's where confidence, this is what confidence breeds, in other words, when you have it in God. So finally, he says, rest tells them to not just repent and trust in the Lord, but rest in the security of God's love and protection as your only source of joy. Verse six, as he responds, he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And it's like David turns and he says, God, show them your face. Shine upon them, Lord. Shine your face upon them. And then he responds with this verse. I love verse seven. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. You can search for what you're looking for. And we have talked about this over and over again here in the Psalms, that satisfaction that we long for, that blessedness that we're hoping for. You can search for that throughout this whole world and you will never find it. It's fleeting, just like partying at night, right? The wine abounds, but the next morning you wake up and you've lost what you looked for last night. It's not there anymore. And David says, your joy is greater because no matter what happens to me, I can't lose it. No matter they're saying evil things about me, I still got your joy. 
If they come at me and even kill me, I still got your joy. I can't lose it because dying, as David knows, will make him present with the Lord, as he's already said. If you come at me and whatever it is you may do to me, I still have my joy. It cannot be removed from me, David says. And isn't that what we're looking for? A confidence to know that no matter what may happen to us, they cannot steal or rob our joy. Our joy. Because that joy is granted to us in Christ Jesus. And he holds us in the palm of his hand. And as Romans 8 tells us, there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from his love. Whatever it is. Read Romans 8 later today. The great confidence that Paul has. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more confident statement than that. And we hold on to it for life, right? And no one can separate us from the love of Christ. That's the confidence we're looking for. Trust the Lord with that. Do not sin, but tremble before him in wisdom. Search your own hearts. Confess your sins before him. Listen to him. Be still and listen to him. And what you'll find is a God who's faithful to give you all that you long for and desire, more than you could ever know as he bestows the blessings of heaven upon you. Worship him in truth and spirit. Trust him. That's where our confidence lies. That's where it lies. He closes by verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Before he woke up in the morning in chapter 3 and thanked God, thanking God for what he's done, there's a little more confidence stated in going to bed, trusting God for what's coming. He said, I slept and I slept good. I know, I don't have to tell any of y'all, the joy and pleasure of a good night's sleep. Amen? And a good night's sleep begins with a sure confidence that in the morning, I'm going to wake up. And God's mercies are going to be new to me again. He's going to sustain me through the night. I'm doing nothing to keep myself alive other than sleeping and resting. God is going to keep me. God is going to sustain me. Even with David, David is saying he's got his enemies bearing down on him. His name's been slandered. And David said, I'm going to bed and I'm going to bed and I'm going to sleep good. Why? Because I've got a confidence that there is a God who loves me and will keep me, protect me, provide for me, and he will wake me up in the morning just as sure as the sun comes up. And we'll do it all again with his great mercy. That's David's confidence. And my prayer is that each and every one of you would have that same confidence. And you, me, we should have it more so, right? Because we know there's a greater rest than that eight to ten hours or four to five, however many you get. There's a greater rest than that night's sleep that we long for. Amen? And that greater rest comes from resting from our sin and our works and our trials and our struggles. That greater rest that we're looking for is not just some momentary sleep, but an eternal joy that we know our sins have been dealt with and life has been granted and we rejoice in what God has done. That's the rest I'm looking for. And we have a Savior who tells us straight up, point blank, come to me and I'll give you exactly what you're looking for. Come to me if you're weary and you're tired. Come to me if 
you're hurting and you're in pain, come to me and I will give you rest. So we have a Savior who's not only come for us to save us, but he is providing us with the rest that we long for. And in that, we find joy and confidence to face every single day. Trust him. David says, trust him. Don't look at the circumstances of the people around you. Trust him. Call upon him. And you find the joy and rest you long for. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness in providing Christ Jesus, our Savior. And so, God, I pray that no one here has a misplaced confidence, that today you will rattle and shake loose whatever worldly confidence anyone may be holding on to, and they will see clearly today, Father, the only place they can truly know that they have found joy and satisfaction that cannot be taken from them is in the one who can truly give them rest. And so, Father, may everyone here place their confidence in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you. Work in hearts and lives even now. For us enjoy. We sing of your goodness to us. Thank you, Father. If you're here today and you need to find that rest and you recognize your confidence has been misplaced, we would love to speak with you. I'll be standing here in the front. We got others that would love to share with you. If you're here today and you're looking for a place, a church maybe even, that you can find this, this message of rest proclaimed and the confidence that other believers had to follow and work and walk through every day, we would love for you to join us if you're looking. Either way, whatever the case may be, may every heart in this room find their confidence in Christ, the one who can sustain you in all things. Let's stand together and sing.